I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, it is midday, which means it is time for the call. We are going to go through 10 stocks picked by you. And we have two experts, two of the best today, in fact, to answer your questions for you. It is Thursday, the 10th of December. I'm Andrew Page. And today I'm really thrilled to introduce Julia Lee from Burnham Investment. How are you going, Julia? Good, great to be here. Congratulations on a very strong November. Thank you. It has been a fantastic November. And look, I'm really positive about the markets at the moment. I think when you see recession and then stimulus, it's a reset of the business cycle and that should support asset values for the next three to four years. Well, if you could do 18% every month, you'll be be (laughs) laughing. I'm also joined by Conrad Song from Macro Capital. Conrad, it's great to meet you. Uh, Thank you, you too. Did you say 19% before just to, no. <laughs> just to get under Julia's skin? Pretty much, yeah. no, pretty much. Now we don't have operator fund, but um, no, things, have been, things have been good, obviously, with the recovery and everything. So clients are happy, I think. So. That's, we, like, we like happy clients, right. don't we? <laughs> um, so today, I thought for, before we get to our viewer questions, it was very difficult to go past Appen as a stock to talk about. It is one of those uh, you know, very popular tech stocks. It's done extremely well from a longer term perspective but more recently, not so good. And in fact, today shares are down a little bit after the company uh, had a bit of an update there. It looks as though the EBIT guidance they formally issued is going to be missed. Conrad, I'll start with you. Firstly, what do you think about Appen in general? I mean, in general, it's, it's actually pretty in, in an ex- exciting space. Obviously, what they do is they clean data um, for anything AI and machine learning. A lot of their big clients are you know, Silicon Valley clients, Google, things like that. Um, in terms of the actual, you know, I guess the guidance update and what's been going on, um, I think what's important to note is that they have 85% or more than 85% of their revenues um, coming from the US. Um, and so naturally, just with the, uh, the impacts of COVID uh, in, in, in the US, specifically in, in California, we're seeing restrictions um, be further imposed there as well. Um, that's naturally impacting their, their, their figures. Um, on top of that, I think if you take a look at Q4, Q4 is always an important one for them. Historically, they generally have about 30% um, of their revenues sort of um, uh, f- uh, contributing 30% to the full year result. Very strong. Um, yeah. But um, this time, obviously, the expectation is it's, it's not going to be anywhere close mm. to that. So that's what I think um, obviously is happening with the share price. One of the things that um, I think also investors should be looking out for is that um, the U.S. is going to be whacking out some stimulus soon. That's going to be um, uh, weakening uh, the U.S. dollar relative to the Aussie dollar. Um, as we continue to increase our exports and commodities as well, um, that's not going to do any favors for that sort of FX uh, risk for them. But as a whole, um, we like the stock. It's a long-term play, I think. Um, we'd actually be looking to accumulate on this type of weakness. So, um, yeah, for us, it's, a, it's an accumulate. I always think that's um, a really interesting dynamic. Uh, do you agree, Julia, when... You have a company that has ostensibly bad news, and let's face it, it's not the news that the market was looking for, but perhaps doesn't impact the longer term thesis as much as the daily market move might indicate. Am I being too generous there or is there some truth to that? Do you <laughs> Look, think? when you see a downgrade, it's negative. But the key question I ask myself when I see news like this is, is it a once off? or is it forever? So are investors pricing in this downgrade cycle, which isn't going to eventuate because it's just a once-off event? And obviously COVID-19 has had an impact here. And if I look at Appen as a business, it's the best in field. It has clients like Google, Facebook, you're looking at Amazon. And it's two key areas here. They have the relevance area, which is all about search functionality, which is incredible to be servicing giants like uh, Google and Facebook and the other area is speech and image and I guess the question that springs to mind is you're servicing these big tech giants why wouldn't you do it yourself if you were this big tech giant and the answer is that it is quite um, 
capital intensive, it's quite uh, labour intensive. If you look at Appen, there's 1.2 million contract workers. Their nearest competitor has 1 million, um, 1 million workers. And I guess if you have a look at it, the market's quite fragmented. So with Appen, you're getting a best in field, which is quite unusual for an Australian tech company. It's been impacted because of COVID-19, especially in California. So potentially just a temporary, you might see, uh, I guess, um, I guess the opposite happening in the next 12 months. And look, this area is projected to grow at about 36% over the next five years compounded annual growth. So, you know, those type of numbers, these type of valuations, hard to see. I'd be happy picking it up below 30 bucks. And I guess it's fair to say too, there's, there's quite some powerful sort of um, network effects here and some scale effects. It's not as though even if, you know, the three of us threw in a lazy billion dollars each that we could easily set up a competing entity here. Um, which is also nice. Conrad, though, one, one follow-up question. With uh, machine learning, AI, and the rest of it, there is, um, this might be longer term, but the potential for the machines being able to sort of teach themselves mm. AlphaGo type uh, mm. learning there. Is that a risk, a, a, an existential risk for the likes of Appen? Um, I mean, you know, I'm no AI expert, but I, I think to, to answer that question, what would probably be a good response is, what are they actually doing to adapt? You know, this long-term play is here to stay. I think the AI play is here to stay. Um, like Julia mentioned, this COVID is sort of this once-off event. Um, what have Appen done? Appen have actually started to shift and focus our attention to um, clients that are less impacted by COVID, uh, looking to seek new business that way. And so if you take a look at sort of the behavior of Appen and the strategic strategies that they're, you know, decisions that they're making, um, if this is a once-off event, great. But if it was ever to happen again, I think you're looking at a company that's going to be able to defend against this type of, you know, um, binary situation. So I, I, I really like this stuff. Yeah. Okay. And if you're looking to invest in machine learning and AI, well, this is a machine learning AI company. So what better so way to invest than like a the company? Pick, the picks and shovels version of AI. Yeah. Right? So, um, you know, and they're providing services to the big giants. So. Unusual, I think, that you get a company of this caliber on the Australian market. I always find it interesting, too, is, is that um, earlier on in the year, talking to a lot of other market participants, very few people had negative things to say about Appen, except for the price. And we're now 30% away from that yeah. high. Today, just having a quick check, the shares are presently down about $3.40, which is more than 11%. Well, this is the opportunity, potentially, if you still like it. But of course, you know, do your own due diligence. But as you can see there, it, it has been uh, not a great day for them so far. Let's pivot, if we can now, to the 10 viewer questions. And Dominic has written in and he's asking us about Nine Entertainment Group. The ASX code there is NEC. Julia, this time I'm going to start with you. Is it, uh, does it tick any boxes for you? Yes, I like Nine Entertainment. Yeah. Look, this is a company that's transitioning really well to digital platforms. So going from the old traditional media into digital. And they've done that not only through Stan, but through the Nine Now network. And they're planning in February to uh, launch Stan Sport, which I think will be very popular as well. And so at the moment, I think today is actually uh, quite a big day for Nine. Um, we're looking at the news, media and digital platforms. This is to try and address the imbalances between the giants like Facebook um, and uh, Google and try and bring some of that revenue back to the traditional news media outlets. And this could potentially mean revenue of 30 million to $50 million a year, every year for, for a company like Nine Entertainment. So I like this one, low financial leverage, high return on equity, and look, um, I think today is going to be a significant day. So just watching out for that announcement. So probably a little bit slow to the party in terms of adapting to the new normal, if we can use the very 2020 uh, word, but they look as though they've made the right moves. I think one of the advantages Nine has always had has been sports. So the fact that they're looking yeah. at a platform and just packaging that out, I think is a really smart move. And if you think about it, that's the reason why a lot of traditional subscribers have been on the old Foxtel I was network. Say, it's got to be the death knell for, the, for, for a cable, right? Once sport goes. So to package it into sport, get people to pay a premium and yeah. the extra margin for what they want and then get rid of everything else, why not? Okay, so that is a buy from Julia. Conrad, do you agree? Um, yeah, I mean, look, it's, it's, it's a, for us, near term, it's a hold. I think they're doing some good things, um, which you know, Julia mentioned as well. But we want to see more. Um, you know, the, the industry as a whole, obviously, you know, the, the problem is that it's, it's undergoing a lot of disruption. Um, you know, 
channels like this is <laughs> a clear example of that. But uh, I think if you take a look at the consumer you know, behavior, uh, whether it be sort of you know, uh, the, the TV um, or radio, which makes up about 50% of their revenues. Radio, for example, I mean, people listen to a majority in cars. And now, you know, in the same way that people like to pay for, you know, the, the specific content that they want to digest, you know, you've got Spotify, you've got podcasts. Um, people are happy to pay uh, or, or listen to an ad if they can choose what it is that they want to listen to. And I think if we take a look at Stan, I mean, it makes up 11% of their revenues. And so great. Um, it was the only um, division or revenue stream that wasn't negatively impacted by this COVID um, sort of thematic. And, and, I, and I think that's important to note because you think, okay, well, everyone was at home watching TV. Why, why was their TV broadcasting, you know, um, you know uh, taking a hit? And so that looks like, to me, uh, a lack of, I guess, you know, because it's such a big company as well, it's a lack of their ability to, to sort of take advantage of an opportunity like that. Now, they did do quite well with Stan. Um, I think it was up about 50%, 54% um, during, during that period. And so, you know, again, look, we like that. That's why near term we, we, we're happy to hold. But we want to see more. I think some of the comments that Julia made um, sort of obviously add to you know, the, the thematic that they are looking to disrupt. But we just want to see some more. Um, it's, a, it's a heavily, heavily impacted industry. And it's only going to continue. And new entrants are going to come to the market. And if they expect that you know, at the rate of what they're doing, where they've got 11% of their revenues from Stan, Look, they're, they're doing some good things with Stan as well. I think they signed a couple of deals. They're sort of focusing on long-term content with their Stan originals as well. So they are doing some good things. And hence, like I said, that's why we hold, but potentially lighten if they, if they don't show us anything in the future. Yeah. I was a bit surprised as a user of Stan how, mm. how decent it is. Yeah, I, like it. I kind of thought, I mean, come on, what are they going to do? You know, yeah. up against Netflix and Amazon and the rest of it. But mm. it's got a really decent offering. And it is about content and the digitalization. At least Nine has a plan, unlike some of the other more traditional where they are aiming to get 70% of their revenue through digitalization or digital revenue by FY24. So, you know, that's about three or four years away. Okay, so there you go. So we, we, we've got a hold from Conrad and a buy from Julia. Uh, Conrad, I'm going to stick with you. Let's go somewhere completely different now with Orica. Yep. Um, uh, Fahan has asked about this stock. The ticker code for those playing along at home is ORI. Uh, explosives? Yep. Is, uh, it, is it an explosive stock? <laughs> <laughs> um, look, we, we actually would accumulate um, based on sort of that short-term recovery play. Um, I think for, so, so they're in the commercial explosives and, and blasting systems sort of business. Um, they've got majority of their clients uh, or their services to sort of quarrying, mining, um, oil and gas and things like construction, right? So, I mean, this is probably a good play for investors who are looking to get that secondary exposed to mining, um, but might not want to have that specific exposure to mining, if that makes sense, whether it's a commodity um, uh, prices um, that might affect that. But um, a couple of things that we should probably be aware of. I mean, they've got 16% um, of their uh, sort of business attributed to, to thermal coal uh, miners. And, um, you know, that's just naturally long term, something that most people are moving away from um, just with the, the, you know, all of the, um, you know, environmental um, sort of thematics going on in Australia as well. We're a little bit lagging. I mean, just because we're so, Australia is such a resource rich country and it's kind of like it's it's you know almost from the context of the environment it's kind of dirty resources right but um i think we will start to catch up to the rest of the world um in that sense and that might not be too good for oracle in the long term but um, again that sort of rotation you know back into the the, the infrastructure spend is going to pick up you know we've got yeah. you know a recessionary period that we're moving away from globally um that's going to require a lot of spending and, and construction that's going to be good for mining companies and that's going to be good for Orica because of that exposure to the mining companies. So, so buy Conrad, but just to follow up on that, is this, is this something that you would consider a bottom draw kind of stock? I mean, we saw in the, the longer term chart there, it's just it's never really managed to sustainably pick up. Is it something yeah. that you kind of think, this is what I hold for that recovery and then once that thematic has played out, you, you take your money and run? Or yeah, I mean, I, uh, like I said, long term, I think the big concern is that with a large portion of their of their revenues coming from thermal coal and, and things like that. Right. But if they were able to, I guess, strategically adapt and we start to see some more heavy weighting to other sort of commodities that might not be so negatively viewed um, as far as the environment goes, potentially. But yeah, the, the play for us is short term. Look, it's going to recover. 
um, based off thematic of the, again, just that infrastructure spend mm -hmm. um, that we know is happening, so yeah. Okay, Julia, what do you think, Orica? Uh, well, obviously it's exposed to global mine production and that's going to go up with governments around the world looking to spend their way out of the recession that we've had and the COVID-19 situation. So that's good news for a company like Orica. Having said that, I do prefer the miners rather than picks and shovels. And that's really what you're looking at with Orica through the explosives and blasting systems. They do have a good balance sheet. I mean, cash of about 900 million on hand. Um, I think Conrad mentioned that about 15 16% is exposed to thermal coal, so that does remain a risk. Um, however, you know, they should do pretty well from this part of the commodity cycle, but I just think that the miners are going to grow a bit more faster than the service type of companies. Um, so look, with Orica and the blasting systems, I think they'll do well, just as not as well as the miners. It's not on our list, but I, I have to follow up. What would be your miner of choice? Uh, well, we've got both mineral resources and Whitehaven Coal. Um, mineral resources has <laughs> been an outstanding yeah. business, hasn't it? I mean, iron ore, I think, hit 150 US a tonne today. So until Brazil gets its act together, which probably won't be until at least the second quarter of next year, it looks like Australia's in a sweet spot. And look, we are the best diggers of dirt in the world. <laughs> Houses and holes, isn't that <laughs> what they say about the Australian economy? Um, I'm going to stick with you, Julia. Craig's written in, Horizon Holdings. Uh, AZJ is the code there. What can you tell us about Horizon? Yeah, once again, I prefer the miners rather than the infrastructure. You're really looking at the infrastructure for things like uh, coal, even agricultural volumes here. So this is a freight operator. It's the largest that we have in Australia. It used to be owned by the Queensland government. That's but right. I guess if you are looking for a yield here, it is a strong yield play. So as you would see with many utilities, it's, it's an infrastructure company. So you're looking at a yield, a cash covered yield of 5 to 6%, which is nothing to sneeze at. Not when, in this uh, Environment. When, yeah. you know, I heard today government bonds sold for the first negative yield ever here in Australia. Right. So strong balance sheet, which also means the possibility of capital management uh, down the road. The negative, I guess, would be the, the, the uncertainty around coal, but that should be offset by the strength that we're seeing in the bulks, especially the iron ore, given the demand for steel at the moment. So look, um, there is some certainty, uncertainty around coal, but with a strong balance sheet, you're looking at the possibility of capital return. I think this is one for the income investors. But is it one for you? And I have to, I have to push the point only because of, of our portfolio that we run here at, at uh, Ausbiz, which I'll, I'll update <laughs> viewers on in a moment. Sorry, sorry, to, sorry to do it, but- Hold. It's a hold, okay. <laughs> in a rising market, defensives usually underperform. You know, this is an interest, it's like Orica, Conrad, in the sense that a, at first glance, this should be a business that does well, um, it, it, especially it isn't as directly exposed to commodity prices, and yet it is an essential part of that supply chain. And yet when you look at this thing longer term, it's just sales have just never really gone anywhere. Mm. Earnings, have, it's been a very lumpy performer. It's never really done much. Why is that? And is, is that just the case of not yet or, or not ever? Um, I mean, I think it also comes to the, the, the stage in which the company's in, um, you know, also, if, you, if we actually take a look at their earnings, well, they, they recently reaffirmed their coal haulage and, and earnings um, guidance for FY21. So 210 uh, to 220 uh, million tons is expected. But um, look, I mean, for the same reasons, I mean, uh, Julia covered a lot of the sort of major concepts of this stock. Um, but I'd say, look, for the same reasons that Julia brought up, we'd actually kind of probably be looking to maybe in the short term outperform, you know, again, the infrastructure spend and, and all of that exposure to the mining um, industry. But uh, long term, I think, I think due to the fact that, you know, I think the question that you're, is there a catalyst? We don't see one. Look, they, they, they might continue with share buyback program, um, uh, share buybacks, which might boost their earnings per share. And as a result, their share price, that's not sustainable in the long, in the long run. Um, on top of that, I think just, yeah, look, the, the overall um, thematic for us is not good. If you really want, I guess, um, businesses that I think are going to be um, benefiting from the additional capex into um, into this area you know we we like McMahon uh, we also like NRW holdings um, you know they're sort of more our, our, our preference but look you know horizon hasn't been a stock that's popped up on our watch list to sort of keep an eye out on up until this interview um, and as a result I think you know that that says something too so it hasn't really sort of provided us with any sort of buy signals at this stage and it's interesting, isn't it, though? There's, it comes up a lot on the show where there's, you know, our experts can cannot be too enamored with a, with a business. It doesn't mean that it's an awful business. Mm -hmm. It just means that, you know, 
we're in the job of being selective and it's okay to play favorites yeah. when it comes to your portfolio. Yeah, so right. if I'm reading both of you guys correctly, it's not like this is the worst business that's on the ASS, yeah. ASX, there's just better opportunities. Yeah. Opportunity cost. Right? Opportunity yeah. cost is a very real cost. Okay, well, let's move on. Let's see if we can find some opportunity in Ardent. I'm gonna stick with you, Conrad, mm -hmm. here. Now, bit of a tumultuous history with, with Ardent. Isn't, mm. Paul has written in. Um, what should he do? Um, so for us, it's a hold uh, slash lighten. Uh, and, I'll, and I'll sort of go into what they sort of do first. Um, so they've got two major segments. Um, they're main events uh, and then theme parks. So main events, are, so they're uh, entertainment centers like bowling, the arcade. You know, they've sometimes got a pub in there or, or a bar in there, right? Um, and then they've got um, Dreamworld and, and Whitewater World and things like that. So um, it's obviously, again, you know, if we bring this reoccurring thematic constantly, and, and, it's, and it's very important, COVID has... Um, been a, a major detriment to this business because they just couldn't operate. Um, now we're starting to see, you know, with restrictions easing uh, or eased really, um, the, the, the sort of recovery story start to play out. We saw, we're, we're seeing some support in the share price uh, sort of more recently. Uh, strong cash position, 160 million. Um, at the moment, they had uh, Redbird Capital invest uh, another 117 million uh, earlier this year. Um, but I think it's, it's very risky in the sense that sure we could see the recovery but if we actually take a look at what the business is it's like the the restrictions that were imposed in in states throughout australia they were pretty quick you know they they you know it was almost like without any remorse for companies right and so it's, it's bang it's on there um and if you take a look at this business i don't they're almost helpless you can't exactly you know jump on a ride online um you can't really adapt to 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 the conditions it's very difficult for them so Definitely, there's such a high fixed cost space with exactly. these businesses. Yeah, right? and you know they're building things. I mean, I think they're building a ride in Dreamworld, so they're trying to maintain that competitive nature. But you know, SeaWorld's doing the same thing. They've got a Vortex ride coming out. So um, I, I think you're playing with a company that, short term, you're going to see that's hopefully recovery. Um, but um, you, investors should be aware that if that's your play, there's less or, or less volatile positions where it's not so impacted by just bang, you know, the restrictions in, in the company's done, yeah. so. You can't just stop feeding the dolphins, exactly. you? Yeah, well, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. That's right. Um, please don't write us any letters, that was a joke. Uh, Julia, what do you think about Arden? Look, this is obviously the recovery trade. So whether it's Village, Event, Experience Co or Ardent, they're all in the same boat. You're investing in this because you believe that there's going to be a reopening and recovery. And um, I'm guessing it, this is mainly in Queensland as well as the US. So Event, you're looking at the rollout of new centres, which you're likely to see post COVID-19. So that, that momentum is likely to come back into the event, uh, to the uh, main event part of its business. Mm. And then the theme parks is an interesting one because um, it is underpinned by property. If you've ever been to Dreamworld, it's a massive property over on the Gold Coast. Huge. And um, there's a possibility at any stage that you could sell some of it off, rezone it, or even develop it. So um, that property at the moment is worth about $90 million without rezoning. Mm. So that's just, sort the, of just the, the balance sheet value that they've yes, got it there. Yes. Okay. So, okay, yeah. so that sort of underpins, um, I guess, the share price of Artem. While it is in that entertainment space, I like it better than Village as well as Event because of that, the, the property underpinning it. So I guess in the small cap space, if you're looking for recovery, they're the stocks you usually pay play for that recovery story in 2021 they should continue to recover so whether it's art and event village or experience co but back to that opportunity cost question is it, is it a, a, at burnham are you buying it oh well we can't because it's not in the asx 200 oh, okay. that's why okay. i mentioned it's in the small cap right. space okay. at well, this <laughs> little private portfolio off to the yeah, side. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't mind putting okay. some money in it, only because pushing, it is for a, for a <laughs> it is a recovery play. And look, you can see what it's done so far in terms of recovery in 2021 will be another recovery year. And if the market has started its new bull run and we're at the start of a new cycle, well, small caps should outperform the large. One of the, one of the conundrums, I guess, for investors in this space might be that um, uh, international tourists are obviously very important to these and we know that that's not going to come back as as quickly as everything else at the same time aussies can't go overseas so so perhaps there's going to be a, a much bigger domestic thrust there i don't know it's a question without notice here but is does that how do, how do those two themes play off against each other? Do you know, you, it's you, really hard to get any accommodation in Queensland at the moment okay. because the borders have reopened. 
most people are itching to get away somewhere. We're coming into school holidays. So look, I think that the domestic demand is going to be quite significant here for these companies, which okay. is great news because Australians have lots of money to spend. Our household balance sheets have never been in better shape. So look, I think it does bode well for these domestic type of companies. I'd be worried more about main event given uh, the COVID-19 cases over in the US. And I think it is going to be a tough couple of months over in the US. Oh, let's hope it's just a couple of months, right? Because that thing is just dragged out uh, a lot in the Northern Hemisphere. Uh, any any closing comments, Conrad? Um, no, not really. Like, like, yeah, no, no, not really. That's no, cool. That's cool. <laughs> um, I just want to give you any any right of reply no, that you, you might have wanted there. Uh, Julia, let's stay with you. Rob is asked about Nuix. Uh, N-U-I-X uh, is how you spell it, and N-X-L is the ticker code. Yeah. I have not heard of these. What, what do they do? They've just IPO'd. Okay. Um, so Macquarie, I guess, was the backer of and still owned 30% of it. So they would have done extremely well. I think the IPO price was $5.30. It's trading just below that $9 mark at the oh, moment. Wow. A market cap of $2.7 million and um, I guess EBITDA earnings of $63 million at the last financial year and net profit of $24 million. So look, looking at their numbers, you're sort of looking at a company that's growing at about 10 to maximum 20% a year. So that sort of dictates what type of valuations you'd probably be willing to pay. So just to compare it to a very different company, uh, Affin, um, which is usually growing at more like 20 to 30 percent which is almost double the rates that you'd expect a company like Newix. having said that you know it is a global leader in the area it's in so this is a software company you're looking at investigative analytics so whether it's used by ASIC to look at um, potentially financial crime or even by um, the police force or border force um, basically criminal investigations and using data in order to try and find that criminal activity so, so like a, a big data kind of play just trying to extract intelligence once from again that, big data machine yeah. learning um, specifically in the area of intelligence so whether that's corporate intelligence or whether that's um, illegal activity being able to pick that up um, I mean I guess one example would be uh, Westpac and the the tracking sort of those little monetary amounts that uh, indicate suspicious activity um, that would be an example but a leader in its field I guess I like this company. The only question for me would always be around the valuation that you're willing to pay for something like They're this. They're so hard to value these companies, or is that just me? Like it is, on any traditional kind of you know optics, it just seems stupid. Yeah. But then you kind of think, well, no, these are very big market opportunities. The industries they operate in are growing extremely fast. They operate businesses that are highly scalable, uh, often in winner-take-all kind of markets. Is I don't mind mind paying a high multiple that to me that just means you're paying a premium now for future growth that you just need that future growth to eventuate or be better the risk always is that that future growth doesn't eventuate Mm. so I guess with these higher multiples as long as the company is growing at higher enough rates to offset what you're paying now then you know most people don't mind paying a premium now for that future growth but that future growth has to eventuate I mean anyone who's been through the tech boom knows that if it doesn't eventuate bad things happen there's only one variable left to give if that doesn't right and and that's that's the price so that's a yes for you Julia yes yes Uh, Conrad um, what do you reckon with with these kind of Julia makes some really excellent points here do you think Newix can deliver on some of these lofty growth uh, expectations? Um, well, they've grown in revenue by 23.5% year on year, right? So, um, you know, just to take a step back, these guys, uh, you know, that's like big, big data for, you know, big brother agencies kind of, right? So you've got ATO, CIA, AFP, ASIC, US Homeland Security, Australian Customs, then you got the blue chips, uh, Amazon, um, Barclays, Reuters, big four banks, uh, big four accounting firms, sorry, etc. And so that's I think big clients, big clients. Yeah. Right. And so the, the thing to note here is, OK, is this sustainable? Well, their subscription revenue is recurring at 89 percent. Right. So it's highly, highly retention uh, rate. Um, so on top of that, the intellectual um, sort of uh, property that they have is, is, is quite strong. Six patents, um, um, which expire between sort of 2031, 2035. So high barriers to entry. So these concerns about whether they're going to be able to continue to grow. Well, they've got the clients. They're staying. And it looks like it's hard for other people to join. Um, on top of that, um, if we take a look at their um, share price, and I think that's what sort of we, we really kind of have to get to the crux of IPOs, generally the hot ones, right? Um, especially if they're led by big institutions like Macquarie. Um, what you're going to have is you're going to have hopefully some success, more market support, um, which generally means that either it goes too hot 
and you wait for a consolidation or stabilization in the price. Now, even if, and this is gonna sound very counterintuitive to, to investors that, that, um, that might look at this differently, but um, even if you end up buying the share price at a higher price, right? If you see that stabilization, well, it validates the increase that they've seen since the IPO. Now, the alternative is that they, they, they get discount and you get in at a cheap price, right? So um, I think the approach that we would take, especially for any of these exciting companies, uh, is to be patient if you didn't get in pre-IPO, <laughs> if you didn't get in the seed level, if you didn't get in at the IPO, well, you've missed that sort of, um, that discounted price. So don't go in jumping in at, in at a premium if um, you're not too sure if that's gonna you know, continue and be sustainable. There is a third alternative though, and I'm, I raise it because I'm very familiar with this alternative, Conrad, yeah. which is you go, geez, that's expensive. I do like the business. I'm gonna wait for it to, to come back a little bit. Mm -hmm. And it's not that it, it doesn't ever come back or just consolidate. It just continues to race ahead. Of course. And you know, it's, is that- is Well, that's, that well, that's discipline, right? Yeah. I mean, I think there's always gonna be situations when you say, okay, well, I could have jumped on that. Um, but then the downside there is, well, if you get into that then, how much money are you, are you willing to lose? And I think, you know, it's always one of these things where you sort of set up the trade, set up the investment. Um, there's always gonna be missed opportunities here and there, but if your strategy at its core has some type of framework that's, you know, uh, I guess logical, well, the, when the emotions come in, and it's especially with these companies, they, they pop and you're going, okay, I don't wanna miss this. Um, and then next minute you've, you've, you know, you've, you've, you've lost a lot of money. Yeah. The only other thing to remember with this one is if you like it, it hasn't been included in major indices yet, but with a market cap of $2.6 billion, you haven't had the passive investing coming into play. So it should be included into the benchmark, um, and which means that it will be bought by the ETFs. So if you do like that one, just keep an eye on the rebalancing and when it's going to be included in the there is a lot to digest there. Uh, sorry, that was just a follow-up. That was a buy mm. for you, Conrad? Um, yeah, but I also, I just wanted to add that the management's plan is to vertically um, scale into the intelligence agencies um, of Western countries, right? Okay. Now, we've got this pretty big problem with Western countries versus China. Yep. Um, as those tensions continue to tighten, um, that's going to be good for Newix as well. So as a short-term catalyst there, I, I see that being a potential too. So um, The silver lining of, of global geopolitical tensions. Well, we have to will. play something, right? Yeah, so exactly. um, yeah, def okay. for us, it's, it's definitely a buy. Maybe just be a little bit patient on the execution. Okay. Well, let's do a uh, quick summary of those stocks. Uh, and we started the day with Appen as our stock of the day. Uh, it has had a pretty bad run today after they downgraded their guidance, but uh, both of our experts think that this is very much an opportunity for the longer term. In terms of the stocks that you have written in as our viewers, Nine Entertainment Co. got a, a tick from Julia, really likes how these guys have pivoted and see some big opportunity, particularly with the sports uh, uh, opportunity there too. Conrad also uh, gives credit where it's due, but just to hold at this point in time for, for Conrad as we see a little bit more water pass under the bridge. We went to Orica next. Orica was a yes from Conrad. He feels it's a good way to play this recovery with a lot of uh, investment uh, uh, spend out there, but very much the, the context there is, as Conrad was saying, this isn't a, a you know, buy and hold forever. This is probably something you let that thematic play out and then you take your money and run. For Julia, it was a no, but really just on the proviso that she preferred to get exposure directly with the miners and mineral resources was one that she mentioned there. Uh, Horizon, uh, the big freight company there, uh, really couldn't get this one over the line from, from either of these guys. Nothing too negative to, to really say here here, but just, um, uh, you know, again, opportunity cost, better opportunities elsewhere. Ardent Leisure, uh, Julia liked this. Julia was saying that this is a good way to play the reopening theme, the recovery theme. A lot of Aussies wanting to go up to Queensland and uh, take their kids to these theme parks here. Uh, make sure you do feed the dolphins there. That was, that was <laughs> a, a very negative thing to say. Uh, for Conrad though, it was a, a hold to lighten though at this point. So we didn't get a strong consensus on any of those stocks. However, the exception was with Newix, this big data play with some very, very big clients here. This has got some really interesting thematics associated with it, and it both got a, t it got a tick from both of our, uh, uh, our I was gonna say contestants, <laughs> both of our experts. We uh, couldn't make it into a competition. It's, it's the price. <laughs> Just fame and glory. Uh, so the reason I mentioned that is because here on the call, we've got our own portfolio. We have been doing this since July 1. So any stock that gets two thumbs up, a buy from both of our experts slash contestants on the show, we've been putting it into uh, this portfolio. Let's have a look at how we have been performing. 
Um, as long as I've been doing this show, either as a guest or a host, it has been green across the board. I'm surely there must have been at least one week where it didn't go up, but I think we can all agree it's been an incredibly strong performance. So I think that's probably just testament to the very smart experts that we have on this show. Um, uh, so 25% there year to date. Uh, let's have a look at some of the stocks that we have added recently. Uh, Carnarvon Petroleum uh, got added in, Bravura, uh, Premier, Newcrest, Woodside, uh, all added into uh, the portfolio recently. We've also had some stocks taken out, of course. Why do we take a stock out? Well, if it doesn't get, if it gets well, just one cross against it, doesn't have to be unanimous, it gets the flick. So uh, the stocks that have been given the flick include Infratel and Bluescope Steel only yesterday, I believe. Um, you can always dig into that in a lot more detail if you want the web addresses at the bottom of your screen there, uh, osbiz.co forward slash portfolio, and you can keep an eye on all of the moves and all of the performance. We are now at the, uh, the back nine, as it were, of the show. We've got five more stocks to get through. And Julia Rahul has written in uh, a little company called Envirosuite. Uh, I'll disclose that I do own, own some in Virus <laughs> so, so be gentle. Uh, so I guess it's three key sectors. You're looking at noise, water, and air. So you're basically monitoring the quality of this. And given today's world where compliance is a very important thing, there's only an increasing demand for services like this. So they're in uh, 200 airports around the world, which is about a 34% market share. Their revenue last year, I think, was about uh, just under $50 million, so that was in 2019. They're aiming for it to get to $100 million in the next three years, so a strong growth stock. And look, the customers are like BHP Billiton, Heathrow Airport, Len Lease, and the key driver here is regulatory compliance. And if anyone's gonna tell me that regulatory compliance is gonna go backwards, I don't think so. It's only going Unlikely. up in terms of growth. So a yes from me. Yay! By the way, let me just say, please give it, give it to me straight if you don't yeah, like of course. it, I um, really appreciate it. Look, I, I, it's, it's, it is an accumulate for us, um, but to just sort of add to that, it, it is high risk. I mean, it's, it's, we're, we're in a space where it's great environment and technology, you know, can't get any better than that. And um, if we sort of focus, I guess, on, on what they do, so they, they've got the data. Um, traditionally, these companies, what they'll do is they get the data, and then they'll hand it to the compliance, or their customers will hand it to the compliance or regulatory bodies. What, what these guys, it's a, it's a, it's a plan of action, solution-based, action-based um, sort of framework to actually provide value on that data. Um, and again, you know, sort of just rejigging it back to you know, that discussion about how you know, Australia has been traditionally lagging um, in terms of its environmental um, sort of focus um, relative to the rest of the world. Not that we don't do a good job, but um, I think as we start to see that catch up and, and accelerate, it's going to be good for companies like this. Now, EnviroSuite, um, demand's high. However, supply is low, and usually when that's the case, we see normalization, right? And so, uh, what do you uh, need? Uh, equilibrium, right? So, yeah. um, we probably will start to, well, I mean, one of the concerns will be there's, there's not many barriers to entry in this, in this area. And so, um, big players with a lot of cash and uh, with a lot of tech um, might, might come in. Um, however, you know, I, I, I think that just kind of adds to the risk uh, nature of it. Um, look, they're a first mover, um, so they've got that going for them. Um, and I think all they need to do is make sure they can capture the market share before these, before these companies do go and say, hey, wait a second, this is, this is great. Let's, let's put some money into it. So it's, um, it's, a, it's an attractive accumulate buy for us, um, just a little bit, little bit of risk. Um, so maybe sort of focus on the, the allocation size on how much you buy. I don't know how much you bought, but. <laughs> I bought a reasonable amount. Yeah. Um, but, but Thank you, yeah. there's all of that. It seems like you bought a lot, so. <laughs> Actually a long time ago, and right. I've, I've been a holder for years, but I, right. I, I'll, I'll throw in a couple of other things. They yeah. had this huge, almost reverse takeover recently okay. as well. That's always difficult to digest. Yep. So there's some other risks there. Big exposure to airports. We know what sort of happened there as well. It's yep. proven to be pretty resilient, but yeah, there's, there's definitely some risk here. So. Mm. For the sake of balance, do your own research. Um, let's move now to Conrad. I'm going to stay mm -hmm. with you. Edward has written in. He's asked about Hum Group, H-U-M-M. This is the old Flexi Group. Yeah, rebranded re with a with a much sexier techie kind of name. Mm -hmm. Is it is it uh, is it worth the buy? Yeah. Um, so we like it. Uh, accumulate on weakness would be our sort of focus here. They've 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 got an attractive. 
um, sort of uh, factor, which is their valuation, right? Um, now, they rebranded, but that's not all they did. Um, they actually simplified their core offerings from 23 um, to, uh, or 23 products down to four. Um, and now they're in the buy now, pay later space in a, in a, in a real form. So um, if we sort of focus on buy now, pay later um, industry, I think it's important to note that a lot of the companies um, are not making money, right? I don't think any of them are actually. So Sezzle, Split It, um, Afterpay, um, Zip. Um, as a result, they don't have a price to earnings, right? But they have a price to book. So you're looking at anywhere from 13 to 28 price to book, right? Valuations are high. Um, now, is that, a, is that a bad thing? Well, I think if anything, if, if, if what we're seeing is probably just the, the share price not um, sort of, you know, uh, matching the, the valuation that these other companies are facing. So that could be a matter of time. They're going to need some mm -hmm. catalysts um, to sort of, you know, push that. Now, one of the things that I, I think is just a little bit disappointing is that it felt, uh, our takeaway is that the transparency on their expansion plans are not that clear or not that, you know, there. Um, whereas, you know, you see Afterpay, you see these companies are going overseas, they're doing this, they're buying up everything. And so um, with an industry that's so hot right now, um, I think investors are going to go, okay, well, which company am I going to go for? Is it the one that's making money um, or is it the one that's, you know, let's say not making money just yet, but they're spending a lot and growing. Mm -hmm. um, so we'd like to see a little bit more from, 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 the, from the board or management in regards to communication on their expansionary plans. Um, but their, their growth is, I mean, it, it's good. 37% um, new customers uh, year on year uh, to 570,000 now. Uh, transactional volume increased uh, by 17% year on year to $2.5 billion. And uh, uh, based on uh, the domestic um, uh, buy now, pay later platforms above $1,000, they're the third largest now. So they're doing some good things. And um, as a result, we, 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 um, we'd probably look to accumulate on that weakness. Accumulate yeah. on weakness. Okay, yeah. Julia, what do you think? Yes, um, this is a company that's just upgraded. So hopefully in an upgrade cycle. The reason for the upgrade was credit quality improving. Um, and that's only going to continue to improve given what we've just been through. And then the flip side is that the um, funding costs have fallen as well. So you've got that funding cost falling, which is a great... Uh, combination and then recently they've just partnered up with MasterCard, which means they're going to be able to take their buy now, pay later product so um, with global. Doe is in combination with Doe as well. I think Doe was a separate announcement. Okay, so okay, this right. is a, a, the MasterCard announcement. But you know, you've taken a very traditional product. Flexi Group used to be, you know, in the Harvey Norman stores where you bought a laptop, interest free for 24 months, and turned it into a modern day product, which yeah. is growing. And um, although it's growing a bit slower than some of the afterpays out there in the world. Um, you know, they are on the right track and they've just upgraded. So hopefully that's the start of an upgrade cycle there and they're expanding their market. So going from, you know, just Australia to global is a pretty big move too. That's a buy. Okay, and Virusuite and Hum both into the portfolio. We're doing well on the, uh, on the final five. I've done it again. Um, I've talked for too long. We've got 10 minutes left on the show. Oh. We've still got three stocks. It's totally my fault, as it always is. Uh, Julia, I'm going to stay with you. So that's just, if we can, if we can do these ones reasonably quickly. GUD Holdings, Simone uh, has asked about that. The code there is GUD. Is GUD G-O-O-D? <laughs> that's so bad. That is so bad. <laughs> Uh, so look, GUD Holdings, you're looking at the aftercare market for cars together with the daily water pumps. Um, and look, when you look at the aftercare or, or the used car market, you only really expect it to grow at 1% to 2% a year. This year is a little bit different because of COVID-19, people not wanting to uh, take public transport. So, you know, you are seeing elevated sales. So first quarter auto sales was up 16%. Um, and in terms of the daily uh, water segment sales were up by 10%. So that's really nice to see. What I always ask when I see these great results, is it just a one-off or is it forever? And for me, it's not forever. It's going to go back to those one to two percent. So look, I'd ride the story as long as it kept on going out, but I'd be quick to get out because, you know, return to normal is one to two percent. Is that a reason to buy now, cut. though, if, if you didn't have any? Well, the thing with the market I, I've found through all my decades in yeah. <laughs> is that things last a lot longer than anyone expects. Yeah. The trends do tend to be sticky. So this trend at the moment that we are buying more cars the, the thing is once you bought a car though do you buy another car next year and another car next year what you're doing is bringing forward a potential purchase which usually means you're taking away from future years so for me a bit of cautiousness here okay I'll, I'll, I'll put that as, as a whole Conrad what do you reckon um, so I'll, I'll just add on parts that you know so for, for time um, so 
I think in regards to the cars, obviously um, they're in the uh, spare parts business. And so during COVID, um, car sales went down. Um, and if you actually take a look at what actually happened, so UBS recently came out with a survey. Um, used car sales went up because, um, you know, whatever, rel relative to new cars. Um, so now we're moving out of that and new car sales are going up. So, okay, sure, people are going out there and driving more and, and uh, you know, the, the, the actual net net figure of new cars is increasing or, or cars, sorry, is, are, are increasing, which is good for GUD. However, what's the composition of the cars that actually can be you know, targeted by, by, by this business? And so um, it doesn't look like it's, it's, it's that much of a difference. Um, so the, the impact, I think, of that COVID recovery plate is just not there. Um, hold uh, for us, um, I, I don't see anything sort of too wrong with the business. Um, and, um, you know, overall, um, I think, yeah, th that, that growth rate, which we probably won't see too much um, change, I think. Okay, the so other thing though, is that in five years time, are we gonna even be talking about car parks? I mean, with electric vehicles, is it just gonna be software upgrades that yeah, we're seeing? True. So the longer term risks, and I see this not only in terms of, you know, um, mechanics and things like that where the nature might change but even things like petrol stations you know how is that going to be able to adapt to the electric vehicle and although it hasn't taken off now in five years time I think that's going to be the new norm so so some potential structural challenges on the horizon okay let's uh Conrad I'm going to stick with you we haven't had a REIT so far but we've got one now Lachlan is interested in arena ARF is the yep. code what do you reckon um, so it's a, it's an internally managed uh, Australian REIT. Um, they're included in, in the in the top three hundred. Um, they invest in childcare, healthcare, education, um, and, uh, and 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 government tenanted facilities. So, you know, REITs naturally, uh, I think people look at that for some type of defensive um, nature as well. This is defensive within defensive. Um, these are long term tenants. Um, that are uh, extremely stable. Um, and uh, as a result, look, we, we have it as a defensive buy. Um, uh, you know, you, you, you want to look at management as well. The management is, is very capable. The chairman, David Ross, uh, was a non-exec uh, director at Charter Hall. Um, so yeah, all in all, um, yeah, we, we, we like the name, we like the space, um, I think, but it's, it's really just for people who are looking for, for some really defensive exposure in the portfolio. Am I reading this right? 4.9% yield? Yeah, 5% uh, yield. 5%? Yeah. 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 Which is, I mean, not too shabby. It's not too shabby, but it's not exactly the best either. So, sure. I mean, I, I think it's more so that just consistency and you kind of sacrifice a little bit of that yield for that too. The risk reward trade off. Julia, what do you reckon? Um, when you're going into a REIT, the two things you're looking at is the potential for your assets to grow. So, the capital side and then the income side. So, the income side's pretty stable, 5%. Um, the capital side, we've recently seen the net tangible asset value moving from $2.22 to $2.33. So, that's going in the right direction. So NTA of two dollars thirty-three, uh, unit price of two dollars and ninety cents. I would say fair value here. Okay, hold. so hold, hold for you. Now five minutes left. So, so I've probably sped you along too, too, too <laughs> quickly here. I'll get this timing right one of these days. Um, Julia, I'm going to stay with you here. Naos emerging opportunities. NCC. Yes. Jimmy wants to know. Yeah, look, I like the idea of small caps at this part of the market cycle because small caps should naturally outperform large caps. Having said that, this is hugely concentrated. It's just 10 stocks that they own. So, um, you know, you really need a couple of knockouts here. I've been able to work out uh, four of the companies, so four out of 10 is not too bad. So one of them is BCA, uh, BSA, which, you know, we're looking for a renewal from MBN here for operations, activations and assurance work. So watching that, uh, there's BTC, which hasn't really performed over the last two to three years. It's um, in that medical space, it needs more scale. So just watching that because it hasn't happened. Um, Saunders, which is in steel bulk liquid storage, which is oh. Oh, big tanks. Yeah, big tanks. Yeah. Um, either concrete tanks or, or yeah. it's been around for I think seventy five years or something. Yeah, it's a um, good record. Track and records. the other one is Experience Co. So that revival in oh, yes. Queensland tourism. So the the performance has been good in the last month, and I think in the financial year to date as well. So I think with a company like this, it's just drilling into the underlying investments. All right. So, but a yes though. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Okay. But high risk. <laughs> yes. Asterisk. Conrad, what do you think? Um, pretty much the same. Accumulate, high risk, um, attractive yield. So again, we were talking about how you know they paid five percent in stock four. Um, well, this pays a little bit more, but there's 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 some more risk there. Um, Whoa! If, look at that liquidity. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh it's, my goodness. It's tiny. I mean, it's a sixty-four million dollar yeah. market cap business. 
Um, the net tangible assets are, uh, so that the, the price is trading a little bit of a discount, which is normal. Mm -hmm. um, the, the core investments, um, as, uh, as Julia mentioned, you know, th there's not much transparency on that. You know, it's, you know, it's not unusual, but um, our takeaway is, is that it is highly concentrated. Um, their farm growth is, is not too bad. Um, they've seen, as of November 10th, um, farm reach 831 million compared to 638 million uh, at the uh, end of June 2020. So that's pretty good. Um, and just that whole focus in the industrial sector, again, as we start to see that recovery play happen, uh, I think it's very important to sort of identify what the opportunity with, 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 these, uh, with these LICs are. The other thing to watch with this one is the liquidity side of things because it only holds 10 stocks and some of the market capitalizations of this stock are sort of 50, 60 million dollars. So they hold anything from 13% of the share register all the way up to 30% of the share register. These aren't positions that you can easily jump in and out of. So um, I guess if something does go wrong or even the other way around, if something got, does go right, to jump out of a 30% holding is a pretty big pivot. So it's gonna take time. keeping in mind the liquidity side of things. Well, we had a really productive, let's say, uh, second half of the show here. Let's run through them very quickly. Uh, Julia and Conrad both saying Envirosuit was the best company on the ASX. And <laughs> they didn't say that. They did say- and to feed the dolphins. They did, they did, they did <laughs> like it. Um, but of course, there is definitely some risks with, with this business, so be aware of that. It is added to the portfolio. Home Group, formerly Flexi Group, uh, we both got a double thumbs up for there too. It's in the portfolio as well. Um, they've really simplified the business here too. Conrad would like to see a bit more uh, color, let's say, around their expansionary plans, but but on balance, it is, is it is a double tick. GUD, we couldn't get this one over the line, although uh, both of our experts basically giving this a hold at this point in time. Julia making a mention there of some perhaps longer term structural challenges with the shift to an electric vehicle car fleet. The Arena uh, REIT, uh, Real Estate Investment Trust, uh, Conrad made some really good comments. This is sort of defensive, a defensive REIT within a defensive area of the market. And you're getting about a 5% yield there as well. Um, so that was that was a tick for Conrad. For Julia though, I believe that was a hold, wasn't it? So it's not getting added into the portfolio. Although Julia making some mention that it's not too far away from its NTA there as well. So it's, it's, it's a pretty, pretty safe one. And finally we had NAOS. Now this is going into the portfolio. It is a double thumbs up from both of our experts. The thing to take away here though, is that this is risky. We saw just how illiquid it is. We saw how concentrated it is. Not just the stock itself being illiquid, but the stocks that the, that the, the investment company holds are illiquid. So bear in mind that that, is, that does represent a bit of a risk. Julia Lee, Burnham Invest, thank you so much for your time. Pleasure. Always Thanks. good to see you. Conrad, thank you so much from thank Macro you. Capital. Always great to be here. Keep up, keep up the good work. But that is our show for today. Uh, I, hope you've, uh, I hope you've found some value in that. If there's any stocks that have piqued your interest and you'd like our experts to weigh in on them, just send us an email, the call at osbiz.com.au. And uh, you can also tweet us as well at osbiztv. Thank you so much for your time. Until next we meet, I'm Andrew Page. Thanks for your company.